0: Welcome to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Paul Tordot. March is prime time for winter sports in Alaska. The light is back, the snow is good, and Alaskans are ready to enjoy it all. Dog mushing has been part of Alaska as long as people have lived here. On this show, we visit Robert and Nicole Forto of Team Anika to learn a little about the mushing life. The second half of the show, Alice Knapp shares the newly published columns of Ms. who who is an advice columnist in the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage's newsletter in the 90s and O's. Stay tuned for a little mushing and a little trail etiquette. All right, on this show we're talking about dog mushing. I'm here with Robert Forteau and Anika Kennels, is that right? Nika. Okay. And, kennels, and um, uh, welcome to the show, Robert.
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, my name is Robert Forto. been a dog musher since 1994. Moved up to Alaska in 2010. Chasing that crazy Iditarod dream. And everything got in the way, of course. I went back to school. I had a daughter that wanted to do junior Iditarod. And uh, boy, I tell you what. As long as I can do it, and I'm not 80 or 90, I'm all, I'm all good. So tell us about your story,
0: that story a little bit, like how you got into this, and with the with the sort of the hat on of like um, for listeners who might be interested in dog mushing and they have a dream or they have a a, a kid that has a dream of dog mushing, how that tell us that walk us through that how that worked for in you. In
1: 1994, I was living in Portland, Oregon, going to school at Portland State. I was going to be a veterinarian, but I thought I don't want to be in a vet office with a lab coat on all the time. So I became a dog trainer. Started dog training in the parks of Portland. Uh, pretty much I showed up with a leash, a smile and a business card and started my business. That business still operates today. And, uh, shortly thereafter, my grandfather passed away and he left me a cabin in Minnesota. And with that, I immediately packed up my bags, moved to Minnesota. And, uh, clearly I had to do something up there adventurous. And I didn't know anything about sled dogs at that point, other than what I knew from the movies with Iron Will and Balto and that sort of thing. So, uh, uh, I got into the Siberian world. I was doing competition obedience and that sort of thing. And then I saw an ad.
0: And that's a Siberian dog. Siberian, Siberian
1: dogs. dogs, right. Yes. You didn't go to
0: Siberia. It's okay. Yep. Yep.
1: So then I saw an ad in a dog magazine. Uh, you're a real nerd if you read dog magazines. <laughs> so, so I saw an ad for a, a kennel that was in the mountains of Georgia. And here I am, 23 years old or so, I pack up a 280Z, Datsun 280Z sports car, and I drive from, at the time I was still in Portland, I drive from Portland, Oregon to the mountains in Georgia, kind of near Atlanta. And the lady had some Siberian Huskies, and she came out and said, Hey, do you want to go for a ride? Much like we did with you today, Paul. And uh, she hooked us up to a cart, and we took off, and I was hooked. As they say, it gets in your blood and you're stuck. I ended up leaving with two Siberians, Rutger and Reich were their names. And that was the foundation of my first kennel in, uh, in Minnesota. And we ran there for, for years until 1999, six, seven years. And then I eventually uh, caught up with, uh, with my soon-to-be wife, Michelle. We actually met online in a Yahoo chat room. Uh, She was online and she was asking questions about how do I teach my kids, Nicole, who's going to be in the interview a little later, how do I teach my kids how to have their dog pull? They had a Malamute. And, of course, being in a chat room in 1999, I chimed in and I said, I can help you with that. Uh, (laughs) So I helped her out. Uh, We started talking on the phone. Before long, I flew out to Colorado and uh, we got married about a year later. We were there for, uh, it was love at first sight, as they say. Uh, we were there for about uh, 10 years or so. And then uh, uh, the whole Iditarod thing caught my caught my eye, and we moved up here and never looked back.
0: When you were in Minnesota and Colorado, were you racing
1: at all? I was doing a lot of mid-distance racing at the point, mid-distance sprint. I had Siberian, so I was never very fast. Yeah. So I, I, I loved it. I loved doing those 40, 50-mile runs. I loved doing a circuit. Which is much different than what we have up here. The sprint mushers still have a circuit, but any distance mushers do not have a circuit up here at all. Down in the lower 48, you can literally start on one end of the country and finish on the other end. Very similar to NASCAR.
0: And so you're, I circuit mean you're building points, or building it's points a, it's, that it's, it's a that. bunch of different races adding up to yeah. something.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And. Um, When you, I was going to say, with those Siberians, uh, how many were you racing? Talk about mid-distance racing a little bit for people who don't know. Like, the different kind of racing, what they are, like sprint, mid-distance, and then the longer racing.
1: Sprint mushing, you're you're kind of... uh... Easy way to describe it. Sprint mushing is typically the number of dogs is the number of miles. So if you have four dogs, you're running four miles, six dogs, six miles, eight dogs, eight miles, etc. cetera. So you're limited on the number of miles and of course the number of dogs. But the nice thing about sprint mushing is you run eight miles, you pack up your dogs and you either stay in a hotel or you go back home and sleep, which is beautiful. Uh, and then mid-distance mushing, at least in the lower 48, is typically anything over 12 to say 30, 40 miles. So it's a longer run, but it's typically two heats. So you'll run that 30-mile heat on Saturday, and then you'll turn around and do it again on Sunday. Gotcha. Um,
0: And then up here, is that the same, The mid-distance, is that sort of the same idea?
1: The mid-distance up here is way different. Typically, a mid-distance up here are your Iditarod qualifiers. Those are your 100s, or excuse me, your 150s, your 200s, your 350s, your 300s. Those types of races are what they call mid-distance up here, and most always, you're training for Iditarod.
0: Right, and that's uh, and the qualifier for the uh, Iditarod is that three hundred that you have to do, or uh, how's that I work? I
1: believe right now it's seven fifty. Oh, okay. Yep.
0: A, a total difference, or the whole, or one race. or you have, or,
1: to have two three hundreds and at least a one fifty or. Another. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: so multiple races. Great. and then the longer the Iditarod and I the Quest. Quest. Those sorts of races, of
1: course, are around a thousand miles. Yeah,
0: yep. And so you're in Colorado, and so what? Talked about the Iditarod bug. That was your dream.
1: Well, I. Uh, Befriended a Iditarod veteran Hugh Neff in 2009 or so, and he said, hey, why don't you come up to Alaska and help me out on Iditarod prep, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So I flew up, and we did the ceremonial start, and at the time, he was uh, friends with a realtor. His name is David Shear, and they're, they're good buddies, and we stayed at his house, and uh in passing after after that didrod started hugh was out on the trail in passing hand me the card like a typical realtor he said hey by the way robert if you're ever interested in in buying something in alaska (laughs) give me a call and there he handed me his his business card and uh, that was in march and by june we had decided to move and we bought this place in july
0: yeah, in a small world for the radio listeners, you bought it
1: from Lori Townsend, who happens to be a host here on, on your ch- on your channel.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a very small world. I didn't know that. Talk that out there, so that's right. that's pretty exciting. And so, and what do you have? What sort of describes your operation here? What your business or businesses?
1: Well, we have thirty-six sled dogs. A major, almost all of them now are Alaskan Huskies. We have uh, two Siberians. One of them we just picked up last week from uh, from Maine. Uh, Most of them have uh, pretty uh, distinguished uh, racing lines, so we do uh, a little bit of tours, not too often, but uh, we've been teaching for the last few years before COVID, and uh, we do expeditions, mid-distance races, that sort of stuff.
0: Uh, Talk about the expedition. What's that about?
1: Well, uh, interesting story is when I was at school at UAA, my graduate project, if you will, was to design a course, which we called the Winter Multi-Sport Expedition. And we brought all the students out from the outdoor leadership program and we took them on a trip over spring break. I think it was about 160 miles or so. We took them out on dog teams, fat bikes, snow machines, and we did that loop from Willow to Yetna to uh, Northwoods to Eaglesong and back. So uh, a, a nice loop. It was now, awesome.
0: That's great. That's yep. great. Yeah, I, I studied that a long time ago. And so that is, that is great. And those, those students, did they have any experience or were you uh, just...
1: Relatively uh, no experience. They came out very similar to you and uh, got their mushing legs, if you will, a few weeks beforehand. And uh, they all did awesome. The, the format of the expedition was every day they did something else. So if they started today on the dog team, tomorrow they would do fat bike. The next day they would do snow machine support. And each day they would switch off. So you may get stuck doing a 30-mile fat bike ride one day or a 10-mile uh, dog mushing ride or whatever, but it was it was truly like a triathlon of, of winter sports. Nothing like it anywhere in the country, and I can't wait to teach it again. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Uh, that, that sounds great. Yes.
0: Um, let's. Uh, so this is Paul Torlach with Alaska Public Media's Outdoor Explorer, and I'm talking here with Robert Forto about dog mushing. Um, so let's talk about learning how to dog mush you teach dog mushing what are some of the things that if someone's interested in this uh, what are some suggestions you have how a how to go about learning and maybe some um, basic things that uh, people should know uh, before they go investing a lot into it
1: well definitely definitely if you're just wanting to get your feet wet obviously take a tour uh, a lot of the tours will allow you to drive a sled for a little while. But most tours are typically a tour. You get on, you take a ride, you get off. But a lot of people get hooked that way. There are many Iditarod veterans right now who got hooked by doing a tour. Otherwise, a high a high um, suggestion is to... Uh, you handle or become a mentor or become a mentee of somebody is a good way to do it. Or as uh, you and I have a relationship, go to the university, take a course. I know UAA offers it, APU offers it. Unfortunately, they were canceled this year for low enrollment. But that's a great way to learn how to do the sport because you're going to get hands-on. You're going to get uh, you're going to get theory behind it. You're going to learn the equipment, all of that, which is much more in depth than just going out to a kennel and going for a ride.
0: Uh, what are some of the things uh, we'll hear in the audio later? Hopefully, uh, it's it's a noisy sport. Yeah. It's a very noisy sport, and it's a very quiet sport. But what are some of the things um, that we will start with some of the challenges of the sport, and then we'll get into some of the rewards. So what are some of the challenges of, the, of, of being in this business and, so the, and this sport?
1: The biggest challenge right now is climate. Climate change is huge in this sport uh, as as You and I know in our conversations early this winter, it was a sheet of ice. We could not run dogs at all, Uh, and here it is mid-February. I'm not sure when this airs, probably around Iditarod, but recently is when we got our snow. Uh, Beforehand, we would get snow in in October, November. Almost always we count our season by running on Thanksgiving. We do a Thanksgiving run, and we're almost always on sleds at that point. We haven't been on sleds on, on Thanksgiving in three or four years so climate change is real happening it's happening for real
0: yeah yeah and um and so yeah climate change that's sort of the big picture what about some of the smaller picture things you know that people have this romantic idea of of dogs and dog mushing, but then the what's the nitty gritty? What's it? Yeah,
1: the nitty gritty is by far economics. It is very expensive to uh, to have a kennel of dogs. We have a mid sized kennel of, of thirty six dogs, and uh, our food bill is is over two thousand dollars a month. Uh, we don't skip on that. Uh, our dogs come before. The mortgage and you've seen our house we aren't living in a mansion or anything like that I always tell people if, if I didn't have dogs I would have a probably have a plane and a yacht both <laughs> so so well,
0: uh, those love. cost a lot of money too by yes. the way
1: yes they do but it's uh, probably about the same expense as a dog team so so that's a, a, a real reality is, is the expense and the time you know this is this is our life it's not it's not a job it's not a chore it's our life everything that we do revolves around taking care of the dogs we get up early to do it we go to bed late after it's done and we think about it all the time
0: Yeah. well that obviously you have a very uh, well-run operation I've been very impressed with it and so let's uh, go on to the rewards like what, what are some things that you uh, keep, keep it
1: going By far, just being out there on the trail with the dogs, you can totally get out there and and be in the element. And you'll find that in in most sports, whether you do backcountry skiing or long-distance biking or whatever, motorcycle riding, whatever it is, just getting out there and enjoying the time with your dogs is by far the biggest reward. And, of course, the accolades of watching dogs grow up from puppies to be magnificent sled dogs. And, of course, there's a a big uh, letdown with that because here – uh, all the dogs stay here until they die. So we see them as pups. They, they stay with us for 10, 12, 14 years. And then they have to, they have to move on. And that's, that's a, that's part, that's a huge reality, but it's, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time.
0: Yeah. They don't live nearly long enough. Right.
1: Yep. For sure.
0: Um, I was going to say, uh, when you're, um, you talked about, um, the age of the dogs, the lifespan of the dogs, um, Do you
1: you have puppies? Occasionally, yes. We've only had three or four litters of pups since we've been here. We keep our breeding to a minimum. We only breed when we need to. Uh, As you said, dogs age out. Uh, A typical working life of a sled dog, if, if they're competitive, is about six to eight years or so. So they have two or three years of, of puppy life, and then they have several years of life afterwards. But you have to have that prime. Otherwise, it's kind of like athletes. You have to keep the machine rolling.
2: Yeah.
0: One of the things, uh, yeah, with the dogs that then, as far as training goes, um, how much time are they hitting in? Like, you know, every day, let's say, t- describe a normal day for you, like in the wintertime.
1: A normal day is typically starting around 7 o'clock in the morning. We get up, do our chores. That takes about an hour and a half. Uh, If we're not working or teaching or going to school or whatever, uh, the dogs are are here alone, typically for no longer than four hours. And then we'll come back uh, in the afternoon. We'll typically run in the afternoon. Uh, and depending on what our, our schedule is for the season, whether we're doing sprint mushing or mid-distance racing or expeditions or whatever, will determine how far we go. If we're doing sprint mushing, we're just doing 10 or 12 miles. If we're doing expeditions, we may do 40 or 50 miles, which is a six, eight, 10, 10 hour run, depending on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll come back. We'll do all the chores at the uh, at the end of the day and then uh, get up and do it all over again tomorrow.
0: Wow. And our are all the dogs, you know, on a, on a, on a day. run a day, rest a day, run a day, some sort of a schedule for them?
1: Typically, we do three days on, two days off. And almost all of our dogs are on that same schedule. We do have several dogs that uh, can't run like that anymore. Of course, the older dogs or the puppies. Yeah. But it's almost always three days on, two days off. And that just goes tw- seven days a week, uh, all, all mushing season long.
0: And you probably uh, really get to know the dogs and their personalities. Yep. And, and, and then and it sort of becomes a team. Well, it's a team, right? So you're figuring out where to put the dogs and who's a leader and who's not. And yep. that
1: uh, how does that work? Well, we train, We try to train all of our dogs to be leaders because you never know when that, when that uh, position is going to need to become available, whether they get hurt on the trail or we have to drop them or they just don't want to lead that day or whatever. We try to train all of our dogs to be lead dogs. And that's a little bit different than a lot of other kennels most of them have their go-to leaders and they have if you think of Lance Mackey and Zoro and Larry and those those yeah. sort of dogs that that he had those were his go-to leaders that you know ran every I did a rod whereas us we have a pack of leaders which is which is a which is a very nice thing to have yeah and that
0: seems to be my impression of the trend and mushing a little bit too you have Every dog can swap roles
1: around. Yep. And it's important if you have, like we said earlier, we teach this as a college class. You have to have multiple teams, multiple small teams. Yeah. So if, you're, if you have a, a core of, of uh, you know, 30 dogs that are running and you're running six dog teams, you can't run the same dogs all the time. And if you have nine or ten students here, that's several teams every day. You know, it's different than if you're just doing training where you hook up 12 or 14 or 16 dogs and then take them out on a 50-mile run, you're going to have the same dogs running every day, whereas us, we sort of rotate them in all the time.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, One of the things I think, um, when I think about, uh, you mentioned earlier, athletes and being out biking and skiing, but one thing I love about dog is a lot of work seems to come before and after when they're sitting on the sled, it can be work, but it's really joyful. I and mean, it's it very, is. almost blissful.
1: It is blissful. I, I, you get in that zone. And, yeah. and I know, uh, most mushrooms will tell you what are the biggest rewards is being out there in the middle of the night, seeing the Northern lights. You're with your dogs. It's 20 below. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to get there, but, uh, the rewards are plentiful.
2: um,
0: Tell us about uh, some of your, uh, I don't know, you have some stories, some exciting moments, some some of those blissful moments.
1: I have a lot of stories. Let me tell you a little bit about our dogs. We name all of our dogs in crews, we call them. Uh, One of our crews, you ran a lot of those guys today, we have the rock and roller crew. Uh So we have Grohl and Sully, Jazz and Jagger. And <laughs> Cobain All of those dogs are a rock and roll theme uh-huh. We have another crew That is the Nightmare Before Christmas team Crew uh, We call it the Nightmare Crew We have uh, Lock, Shock, Barrel, and Burton Of that crew <laughs> And we have uh, Let's see, what's another crew We have two new pups down here And they are the Reggae Crew And they are Ziggy and Marley <laughs> <laughs> nice, Yes, nice. yes, that,
0: that's great And are those Are they and, um, Are they uh, so, sort of similar ages. It's it's who? All the crews are, are the litters. Oh, so the, those are okay, our litters. Okay, so, gotcha. So that gotcha crew right, yeah,
1: we all siblings, and then the rock and roller crew were all. Siblings. I gotcha. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes.
0: yeah. All right. Um, so yeah. So um, when you're um, out and uh, going back to that sort of those those moments or those stories, um, like I, I guess you, had, you talked about when you first started, you had that moment you were yep. Um and that was it
1: that was it uh, you know it's 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 like a drug it's 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 intense it's hard to describe yeah. a real quick story uh my first year here i ran the Tustamina 200 down on the peninsula kenai peninsula and my friend dave who happened to uh to sell me this house here he said oh it'll be an easy race it's just hills and I said, oh okay <laughs> no problem hills to me minnesota hills are you know, hundred feet tall. Yeah. So I hooked up a team there and uh, we headed down to the Kenai and those hills are mountains down there. I don't know what range that is. You probably know better than I do, but, uh, we definitely bit off more than we could chew. Uh, I had 12 dogs that race, my first, I did run qualifier ever. And I could not get up and down those hills by myself. And the dogs pretty much gave me the finger. After about, uh, after about that 50 that? miles, they said, you know what, dude, we're not doing this either. So I hooked up a dog <laughs> that I got from Hugh Neff. Her name was Sydney, who just happened to pass away last week. Oh. Uh, so she was one of the first foundational kennels here of Team Ineke, And I put her in single lead, and uh, I got out in front of her, and I said, okay, Sydney. Sydney had ran Iditarod and, you know, oh. quests and all that. Big-time lead dog for Hugh. And I said, "Okay, Sydney, we gotta get up over these hills." And I hooked her up in, in single lead, and I walked out of in front of her for a while. And before long, Sydney took the team on her back, as they say, and, and we got to that uh, that, that first checkpoint. And, and what a relief! I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> but you kept going. Kept going. We kept going, and uh, as they say, the rest is history. And I've, I've tried a lot of races up up to this point. Still have not. Uh, Found either the time the money or the gumption to uh to tackle Iditarod yet but I think uh, the oldest person that ever started Iditarod was 74 uh so I still have 22 years or so before <laughs> I'm the oldest person to ever start Iditarod so I got plenty of time
0: yeah yeah well not everybody has to do it if, if you're enjoying yeah. yourself yeah. and everything um uh any um uh Let's talk about risk management a little bit. What, what are some of the things you think about when, um, when you're talking about taking students out or yourself or, you know, people like me?
1: Uh, biggest thing here on our trails, and you saw a little bit when you ran, was overflow. Overflow is a big deal, especially this time of the year as it warms up. A lot of our lakes will, uh, will freeze thaw, and I don't know how many times we, we've taken students out where we've seen un, un, uh, unseen overflow. And gotten stuck in waist deep water and that could be a big time deal if 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 they don't know what to do Uh, that's a big risk uh being out there and making sure you have uh, uh, a way to get back whether it be a sat phone or a tracker or something like that is a big deal and making sure that you're prepared for whatever's going to come you're you're not out there on a snow machine you know you just can't push start and and you'll end up at the destination you have six eight ten twelve dogs that uh, that are relying on you To take care of, and of course, they're going to take care of you on the trail, but it has to be a very synchronized, systematic approach to get from one checkpoint to another or one roadhouse to another on expeditions or whatever, because it doesn't stop. You know, you can't go to a roadhouse or a lodge and, you know, park your dog team and go in and have a beer. You've got work to do on both sides, morning and night.
0: What? No beer?
1: After. Uh, After, okay. (laughs) Take care of, yes. A musher never sleeps, as they say. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. and uh, how about moose? Everybody talks about moose and dogs. Is that an issue?
1: We've we've had a lot of moose encounters here. Uh, One time we were out on these same trails here, and uh, it was a big snow year. The burbs were at least uh, chest high, so we were really kind of in a tunnel. And I remember, like yesterday, that all the dogs' ears perked up, before I saw it and a moose jumped right over the okay. dog team and oh, wow. uh, well, yeah so they whoop and, and, and didn't stop and I thought, oh you know I almost lost it. <laughs> I almost pooped the pants as they say. but uh, that was a big time encounter. Yeah, that's exciting yeah. That, that's, that's really. Exciting. Uh, moose, moose are dangerous. Uh, dog teams have been trampled by them uh many years ago uh, uh you know people would carry guns on I did trail i don't know if they do that anymore i know just recently they had a moose encounter on the willow 300 and it stopped the uh the lead teams there for several hours the moose would not give way so the three teams there the leaders of that uh big race all were kind of con- yeah stuck there until yeah. they moved on yeah
0: yeah, yeah, I've definitely been sled and running the moose, and it's it's really exciting.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, they're not they're not uh, the moose as they are the 48. We got some, Of course, we're in Alaska radio show, so you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, thanks. So, uh, and I, you mentioned your dog training experience, and know your uh, daughter also trains dogs. So is that um, that obviously comes in handy?
1: Yep, that pays the bills. That is our daily job. We operate Alaska Dog Works, the three of us, my daughter, my wife, and I. And uh, we train dogs all over the state. We've trained them from Nome to Kotzebue to Juneau and on. We, we harness the state for, uh, for dog training.
0: And you're just doing the training. It's just like dog side. What kind of training are you doing?
1: Typically, it's basic obedience, typically yeah. pet dogs. But we do do service dogs. We, we have a contract with the Elks Lodge where we train dogs for veterans. Uh, we also do therapy dogs. We have a program that we train with uh, pastors in a church, so they uh, they can take them to therapy type sessions, that type of work. And of course, we do some sports as well, whether it be winter sports like ski joring or bike uh, bike joring or anything like that. Of course, we'll if if it's a dog, we'll train it to do something.
0: And does that train? Does that your experience that come in handy? with the mushroom
1: of course. I think I have the perfect job as, as a yeah. dog trainer because I have li- literally lived with a pack of dogs my entire career. I didn't learn to become a dog trainer through a bunch of books or videos, how a lot of dog trainers are learning today through watching YouTube and TikTok and all that. I've literally had a science experiment in my backyard to learn from since, since I was in college.
0: Well I've been super impressed with your kennel and how well behaved they are and uh, friendly they are and it's, uh, it's really impressive. Alright so here we are in your shop and so uh, we're looking at your, what do you got in here?
1: Uh, so we have our, all of our freezers full of meat. We feed about 40 pounds of meat a day and about 20 pounds of kibble with our 36 sled dogs our dog food bill is a whopping two thousand dollars a month a month wow yes that's more than most people's mortgage
0: yeah oh yeah yeah definitely more than mine
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh,
0: and then uh yeah so that's a lot of meat and that that accessories are there and snow machines, and i oh, got some fat bites, and four, four-wheeler, use the four-wheeler in the summer to
1: run them all year round. We, we run them all year round. Well, we give them about a break, in about June or so, the hottest month, yeah. typically, and let them get fat and happy. Yeah. You know, so they, they can uh, rest up from the, the winter and uh, uh, gain a little bit of uh, fat to concentrate on that muscle, yeah. and just uh, keep on rolling. That's great. <laughs> hey, I'm here with Robert and the dog. What do you got here, Robert? We have about 36 sled dogs here at Timanake Kennel in Willow, Alaska, getting ready to take Paul out on an epic uh, four or five mile run. It should be a great time.
0: Yeah, and so uh, explain what kind of dogs, where they're from, that kind of thing.
1: Uh, We have uh, mostly Brenda Mackey lines, so Mackey's racing sled dogs, all distance type dogs, no sprint dogs here. A lot of these dogs come from way back in uh, distance history, even I didn't Iditarod history.
0: Good, all right, well, let's uh, go look around some more. All right. We're gonna have six dogs. We're gonna go about a five mile loop. So this is dog mushing. it's best. Noisy, 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 you not load up. The dogs are super excited. And Robert's coming in front of me with a snow machine. Very uh, wise. So they've got these all. the rod sort of dogs.
2: And they are excited. Taking
0: okay, the hand lines and the necklines. Yeah. Here we go. And then we're now we're mushing. Off we go. Aha. Uh-huh. Took my first left, and it's quiet. It's a great thing about dog mushing. They're noisy, 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 and and then they're just dead quiet. It's a beautiful day out. It's a little little cloudy out, but uh, pretty warm, about 20 degrees. They know where they're going. They've done this before. I said we're doing about a five mile loop here. What fun. This is great. Well, thanks, Robert, for uh, joining us today. I really appreciate it. really enjoy um, the opportunity to get out on a sled. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, um, and meeting your daughter and your wife, and it's a lovely. Then you guys here, it seems like the whole world is uh, your your uh, center of your universe is dogs.
1: It is. And you know what I have to say? I'm impressed, Paul. Uh, you jumped on that sled, and you had your snow legs, as they say. You did very well. I know it was just a short five-mile run, but... Uh, Got to give you props. You, you look like a natural out there.
0: So did I, I passed. What, yeah. what, what, what kind of credit did I get?
1: I, I think you would get an A plus and maybe, maybe a, a nice little participation trophy as
0: well. <laughs> nice uh, pat on the back. All right. right thanks a lot, Robert, for uh, joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'm here with Nicole, Right. and so you're Robert's daughter Mm -hmm. and so tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you have been mushing?
3: So I'm 24 now I've done mushing and been in the dog world since basically I could walk Um, I did my first race at three when I was uh, 15 16 17 I did Junior Iditarod and Willow 100 I've done tons of sprint races so I've pretty much been dogs my whole life actually and I love mushing I love the independence it gives and kind of like the trusting that it gives you to build with your dogs and all of the lessons you get to learn.
2: That's
0: that's great and what else do you do besides dog mushing?
3: So dog mushing is more something I do recreational now, so I'm actually a dog trainer. I'm part business owner for our business, Dog Works Training Company. I teach people how to have better relationships with their dogs. Um, Before that, I was a treatment counselor for teens with alcohol and drug dependency, so I have a lot of uh, communication, counseling, that kind of life coaching experience.
0: And I bet that comes in uh, very useful with, because it's not dogs, it's about people and dogs, right?
3: Exactly. It's definitely, most things involving dogs are more about the people than the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure, because dogs are easy. They're easy to teach to, you know, go run on a line or do a sit-stay, but it is. It's definitely the coaching of the people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any um, a story a particular story that you would share with the listeners like a memorable memorable moment while uh, out with dogs
3: um really any of them probably one of my favorites is my last junior I did a rod uh, when we were camped out for our 10-hour mandatory camp the northern lights came out it was negative 20 degrees I'm camping in the cold and I laid down in the straw with my team while they camped out and honestly that was probably one of the most best experiences i've ever had it was really nice and life-changing and just beautiful
0: is that is that that like a moment when you went, okay this is for me
3: yeah but i also went i don't know if i want to do this camping part of dog (laughs) mushing anymore (laughs) because it's just so dang cold so it really kind of turned my well i'm not going to compete but i'm just going to do this to enjoy it and have fun Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: Well, that's great. That's a great, uh, great insight. Uh, All right. Thank you very much, Nicole.
3: Yeah, of course. I'm glad. I hope you had so much fun.
0: I did. That that was a a great little run. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to Robert and Nicole Forto for taking me out on a five-mile dog sledding outing. I really enjoyed it. Uh, We'll take a short break now. This is uh, Paul Tordock with Outdoor Explorer. Uh, We've been talking about Dalmushin, and after the break, we'll come back uh, with a little bit about Nordic
1: You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org.
0: to Outdoor Explorer. I'm Paul Torrecker, host. On this segment of the show, we're going to switch from mushing to uh, Nordic skiing. Starting in the ni- uh, mid-1990s, the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage published an advice column called Dear Mrs. Ufta. And today, I have Alice Knapp, who knows a bit about Miss Ufta, to hear, to uh, tell us about a new book that the association has published, um, and maybe some advice. Welcome to Sob, Alice.
4: Hi, hi Paul, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell you about Miss Ufta.
0: Yeah, so this was um, book was put to these columns, I take it with you and your husband, Gunnar, is that right?
4: That's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, so tell us a bit about uh, the history of this and what it was.
4: OK, well, th- th- this project came about um, as a result of my uh, COVID project, which is to write a history of the Nordic Skiing Association of Anchorage, which um, is coming up on its 60th anniversary. And so the past two years, I've been researching the history of the Nordic Skiing Association and talking to a lot of the movers and shakers of the club. and and, and In and amongst um, working on that project, I kept uh, reading old newsletters and I came across the Miss Ufta columns, which I remembered really well from the 1990s. And um, I contacted Joyce Weaver Johnson, who was the editor of the Nordic newsletter at that time and asked her if there was any way possible I could um, get in contact with Miss Ufta, who's a trade secret, nobody knew who Miss Ufta was except for Joyce, who is the editor. And so I, 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 I talked to Joyce or I sent her an email and I asked her, could you contact Miss Ufta and ask her if she would be okay if we reprinted her columns from that five year time period because they're just so delightful. They're they're fun, they're witty, they're, um, they address all these common issues that uh, skiers, tend to bump into in a very um, fun, witty uh, way. And uh, and I figure there's a whole generation of skiers that haven't had a chance to experience Miss Ufta as we had. Um, And so with a lot of help from my husband, Gunnar, we collected those columns. We did get permission, by the way, from Miss Ufta. We collected all the columns that appeared in the newsletters and formatted it into about a 100 page book that um, my friend Kim Olmsted, who's a a graphic designer, uh, updated the illustrations and and added a bunch of really Nordic kind of uh, little illustrations throughout the book. And and one of the most wonderful things was after collecting these articles and getting them all formatted into this book, um, we added a chapter at the end um, about uh, current day Miss Ufta columns. So we have uh, about five new uh, up-to-date columns from Miss Ufta and they are very humorous and anybody that knows myself or Gunnar will uh, get a good chuckle out of them. The responses are quite, quite fun.
0: Yeah, I noticed one about fat biking.
4: <laughs> yeah, climate change, fat biking, aging racers. Miss um, Ufta answers it all in a very appropriate way, and um, it's 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 just delightful. Uh, one thing I, I thought that uh, would be good to to mention is when the first column came out in 1994, um, it. It said the, at the title of the column, Miss Ufta will answer your questions. And then it asks all these questions. And, and then it says, Miss Ufta knows it all, or we'll find out. Although her innate Nordic reserve prohibits our identifying her by name, Ms. Ufta is a refined, elegant lady of indeterminate age who has been skiing Anchorage trails for more than a quarter century and can still run those downhills faster than almost anyone because she knows how. She exhibit, exhibits brilliant technique, impeccable trail manners, and sensible knickers." And then it says to write your letters and put them in the red envelope at uh, AMH, which which was really fun because um, in the final chapter where we um, Asked Miss Ufta to, to update, tell us what she's doing, and um, we said that we put the envelope back at AMH and and put these letters in for her to answer to keep that an- anonymity there. So uh, okay. anyway, it, it just was a, a ton of fun to do. It it did sides kind of sidetrack me from my project of the history book, but it, it's it's a good find, son it's a good uh, sidetrack. And um, Kim Olmsted did just a fantastic job kind of updating the Miss Ufta graphic. She looks like a Nordic skier on old time skis with a one single pole as in the Nordic tradition and uh, and added some appropriate Alaska type folk art to it, including a moose graphic and with moose prints and snowflakes and Norwegian hearts and things like that. So it just um, was really a fun, fun project. It's a good little fundraiser for Nordic. Um, we had 250 copies printed. So um, uh, it it's something that you know will help Nordic just do something fun. Maybe have a polka party like in the old days, I don't know. <laughs>
0: So when you when, can you classify the different you know uh, different um, types of uh, questions and columns that uh, were there? Sure, in
4: um, I'll, she she sort of uh, tended to address etiquette issues, and I'll read a couple of the letters to her um, that that give you a sense of where she's coming from um, and how she answers these these. Uh, etiquette issues. For example, Dear Miss Ufta, when one encounters a possibly confused skier proceeding in the wrong direction on our groomed trails or accompanied by a dog, what is the most polite but effective way to inform the offender about trail etiquette in the ski club's toilsome efforts to maintain trail conditions? Signed, Miss Mannerly Skier. And her response, Dear Mannerly, Miss Ufta is pleased to hear that her readers are willing to share the responsibility of maintaining and protecting our non-parallel trail system. Anchorage has both groomed dedicated ski trails and groomed multi-use trails. The mostly one-way trails at APU, UAA, Hillside, Kincaid, and Russian Jack Springs Trail are all closed to pedestrian and canine traffic and are marked as such. The narrow trails at Russian Jack are set for classical skiing. People may ski with their dogs on the multi-use trails, and it goes on. Um, and then it goes. Many of us buy trail pins to help pay for the costs of grooming. Try to try asking the offending skier sweetly, "Oh, have you bought your trail pin this year?" When they look confused, make a double move. Explain about the etiquette of one-way trails closed to dog use, and put in a quick plug for buying a pin. Yeah. <laughs> so she 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 makes things. Uh, very uh, fun in, in, in the way she My answers heart, yeah. questions. She also had um, uh, questions about waxing and appropriate clothing. There's a fun one about a, um, certain body parts on men that tend to get cold and how to how to fix that problem. Um, she, she has quite a few columns uh, that, where skiers, lonely hearted skiers are trying to find an appropriate mate on the trails. And um, one of the fun ones that we put on the back cover just because it, it was a, a short tidbit of a letter with a funny, funny response was the one that uh, uh, goes as such. Dear Miss Ufta, what is the thing to do if I get stuck with my date at Kincaid when the gates are locked for the night? Signed, Casanova. And she responds, Dear Casa, this is another reason for carrying survival gear in your car. Your decision will no doubt be affected by the quality of your date, the ambient air temperature, and how much farther you want to ski. As some poor Anchorageites can attest, Kincaid is not always the safest place to be after hours. If your car is locked in, you can call a friend to meet you in your date outside Kincaid. And uh, goes on, this plan would entail abandoning your car and reclaiming it in the following day. You can call the police. They'll be glad to unlock the gates and free you, but may give you a ticket for breaking park rules and missing the park curfew. But then she finishes it with a really funny thing. You can bivouac at Kincaid, but this isn't really legal and it might be your last date wouldn't it be easier to ski with a watch? <laughs> and, and so she, she often puts little twists at the end that, that just kind of make you smile. And, um, and another letter that I just, I just thought was really fun is, dear Miss Ufta, and it's appropriate for this year. Ski season sadly is nearing its end and I'm beginning to suffer from PTSD or post terrific ski season disorder. How can an addict like myself keep skiing through the change of seasons? Sincerely, Will Winter. Dear Will, well, you can always try higher elevations, but I suppose you already thought of that. I'll let you in on Miss Ufta's secret pastime in August when she can't bear to go another day without skiing. I get out my skis and tie old towels to the bases and then tape them from above using duct tape. I fish out a couple of wine bottle corks from my silverware drawer and I apply them to the tips of my poles. Then I roll up the carpet runner in my longest hallway and stride away. With a cool breeze blowing through an open window, I can almost feel that I'm kicking and gliding along the Sisson loop. And believe me, the shine it puts on a hardwood floor is incomparable. Incomparable. At any rate, so she she has a, a very witty way of answering, answering the letters and um, my people that I know that have purchased the Misufta Ufta book um, and read it, they, they kept saying, oh, I know it's you, Alice. I know it's you. But it isn't. It, it honestly isn't. And, and I can honestly say that although I do know the identity of Misufta, Ufta, um, it came as a big surprise to me. It wasn't anybody that I thought would be on my list of possible Misuftas. Uftas. And and so um, the secret lives on. It's part of the 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 great, you know, mystery of it all. A great but, uh, that's
0: a great great mystery. And these ran from the mid '90s until when?
4: Uh, they started in the the 1994 ski season. They ran for four years. There was a hiatus of one year, and then they um, showed up again when. Uh, the Nordic Ski Letter became the Alaska uh, Nordic skier. So the, the Nordic Ski Club had its own newsletter and then um, Joyce and Barry Weaver Johnson uh, um, kind of converted the, the newsletter into a statewide uh, Nordic skier. Yeah, so um, it was a five-year run of articles. And we, we didn't leave any of them out. We collected them all. Um, most of them are still very timely um so you know yes they happened 20 years ago more than 20 years ago but they're 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 not dated because the topics are 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 nordic topics that um you know miss miss ufta is really miss manners i mean she's miss manners with skis on and uh and that's what you know we can all relate to that spend our time on the ski trails so well, it is fun
0: yeah, yeah i really enjoyed looking through it because i mean there's i thought it was applicable just not for skiers i mean it's most of it skiing but for mm-hmm. even in the summer for trail running and biking and just there's so many more people on the trails now right uh, that and, and, and different types of users now we have flat bike we have ski what? jurors we have there's just all kinds of um, people out there, which is great. But right. etiquette and um, manners, I think, really keep the trails um, the, a, a sense a, a fun place to be, a, a place that's welcome right. to everybody. So it's really Our, important stuff. Oh,
4: yeah, there are a couple letters where she she kind of says, you know, we should just celebrate everybody's out there and and you know get along, folks. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs>
0: Yeah, we you get know. sort of creepy about all the people, all those of us those who've been around for thirty years, you know, all the people out there. But it's just fantastic to see folks, right. and, and, and I really think there's a, there's a, there's a need for this. I mean, I think of all the stuff like. People playing music on boom boxes. There's a letter, right? There's all kinds of new things out there, which um, I and and things have changed too. You know, I think about, you mentioned Russian Jack. Well, Russian Jack is more multi-use now. So there's, you know, there are, are some changes that have gone on in the trails too. So.
4: As is APU, right?
0: Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> APU swapped out a couple of years ago. They sort of gave up trying to keep it single use. Um, but uh, well, yeah, that's good. And where can people find this app?
4: Well, um, it's available through the AnchorageNordicSki.com website. If you go into the the Nordic Ski Club's website and look under the About Us tab, there's a merchandise um, sub-menu item, and, and just look under Book, and it's there. It's $10. They will send it to you. They'll charge you a couple dollars for postage. Um, you know, I, I found this to be a, a really fun book to give to friends that um that have cabins it's a great outhouse book i call it <laughs> um it's you know it's kind of that reader's digest size and you can it's skip aroundable i'm a retired school librarian and i always told my students that you know nonfiction often is skip aroundable and this is skip aroundable in that way you don't have to go from beginning to end you can you can just browse at your enjoyment and and that's part of what makes it really fun
0: it is a lot of fun well thanks for uh, being with us um alice this has been uh, paul Torlap, your host with outdoor explorer we we're talking about al snap who uh, her and her husband have come out um with the help of the north street association of anchorage uh book uh the wit and wisdom of miss ufta thanks alice for being with us
4: <laughs> thanks a lot paul it was a lot of fun
0: All right, next up on Outdoor Explorer, we have Darcy Dugan, who is one of the volunteer organizers for the Ski for Kids here in Anchorage. Welcome to the show, Darcy. Thanks, Paul. So tell us a bit about uh, ski, Ski for Kids. What is it? Give us a spiel.
5: Yeah, so Ski for Kids is a winter festival at Kincaid Park that brings in several hundred kids from across the city for a variety of activities. There's a a timed three-kilometer ski course, um, an untimed three-kilometer storyboard course that has props hanging in the trees, and then a number of stations around the Kincaid Stadium for kids to try out new activities and have fun. And it's um, it's organized by the Nordic Ski Association of Anchorage and uh, Healthy Futures and the Muni, uh, and a lot of volunteers who are um, either former kids or kids at heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and we were trying to uh, decide how long it's been going on. It's been a while, though. It seems like I've known it about for like at least ten years. So, yeah,
5: yeah, I'm not sure the date that it started, but I know it's um, been going on longer than we've had our kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and it's at Kincaid, and it's I think this is this has been recorded on. Uh, well, this this has been aired on twenty fourth. So it's uh, what what date is it? I think it's coming weekend, right?
5: Yeah, it's going to be February, Saturday, February 26th, and it's from 12 to 3 30. Um, the timed race is at one thirty, but people can come anytime in that window to enjoy the stations in the stadium.
0: Yeah. So tell us a bit more
5: about the stations and
0: uh, what are the fun activities you have going on besides the race?
5: Yeah. So there's um, an opportunity to try out sit skis. Um, there will be a number of fat bikes for kids to try to fat bike. There's always an obstacle course on the hill at Kincaid. Um, There'll be a mock biathlon area with laser rifles. Um, The Orienteering Club of Anchorage has an orienteering course that people can try out. And this year for the first time, um, kids will be able to check out how to use an avalanche beacon and play hide and seek. Oh, fun. Well, I want to do all that stuff.
0: <laughs> I want to um, do the uh, laser and biathomon. And wow, that sounds great fun. Yeah. And and um, and uh, you know, this has been recorded. So this is this year, but this is an annual event. Is it usually about the same time of year?
5: Yeah, it's usually at the end of February, but before the tour of Anchorage. Um, yeah.
0: Great. Um, and what, uh, so when they show up, so what's the deal showing up? Do I have to register? Where's parking? It sounds like there, sounds like there might be a bunch of people there.
5: Yeah, um, you can register online ahead of time. Um, you should definitely register if you wanna be part of the timed course. Um, suggested donation is around $20, but the event is not gonna turn anybody away um, that's not able to donate. And the, the proceeds go towards the ski grant program, which helps provide um, school equipment for gym classes, or high school, or middle school, or elementary school ski teams. Um, so, if you are a high school coach or gym teacher out there, you should check out the Ski for Kids grant program because this might be able to help your school. And I should also mention, I think a big part of the Ski for Kids is trying to increase um, access to the sport. And there will be several Title I schools that will be busing kids out to Kincaid on, on the day of the event and providing lunch and just trying to get as many kids as we can that may get the chance to be out on skis a lot or maybe don't get the chance to be on skis very often to get out and um you know test their skills and have some fun and are you looking for volunteers
0: also i suspect
5: we could always use more volunteers yes there is a volunteer um button on the ski for kids page which is on the nordic ski association of anchorage um, website and Um, It does take a small army of volunteers to run this event, but you get to feel like a kid again, um, and it's pretty fun to be in the stadium.
0: Yeah, and we'll have that link on the Outdoor Explorer website uh, for the show. Um, And so uh, let's review a little bit. So it's uh, Saturday Saturday the 26th, is that Mm -hmm. right? I got that date right, starting at 10 a.m. 12 p.m. 12 p.m., sorry, 12 12 p.m. And it, uh, and you can uh, pre-register on the ski uh, association website.
5: Yes, um, and if you and haven't pre-registered, you can yeah. also um, donate when you show up as well.
0: Okay, great. That's all I was going to ask. There's in-person registration also. Well, that sounds um, fantastic and a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for joining us, Star Editor. Uh, th- what are you looking forward to most in this event, besides maybe having it over with? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh, I'm really looking forward to it. I love watching the kids get excited. Uh, you can just see the twinkle or gleam in their eye when they're trying something new um, or crossing the finish line of their first race. So I'll be in the finish area and I can't wait to see all those happy kids. And also there will probably be a lot of crashing in the stadium as people try new things. And that can be um, know a goofy experience as well
0: yeah a lot of kid energy any one other question any age range
5: Um, what's
0: the recommended age age range
5: i would say um uh zero you know if you are in a front pack of somebody who is a ski enthusiast um (laughs) (laughs) to um uh you know probably early teens we actually have a number of teenagers that are volunteers that come out and help so I think for the ski race, um, like the timed race, I believe it might be up to 12 or 13, um, but we don't want to turn anyone away that wants to come out and, and try out these sports. You could be an older brother or sister too that you know wants to yeah. try out that, that bike. So All right.
0: Well, great dance, Darcy. We're looking forward to talking about the um, uh, Ski for Kids. Um, what Darcy do you have a dance for join us, Darcy? Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to my guests, Robert and Nicole Forto, Alice Knapp, and Darcy Dugan. Find links to Anika, The Wit and Wisdom of Miss Uftah, and information on the Ski for Kids on the Outdoor Explorer website. Finally, a bit thanks to our producer, Eric Port. This is your host, Paul Tordock, and from all the hosts at Outdoor Explorer, mind your trail manners, and we'll see you on the trails.
1: Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, The Man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org.